Welcome back, Intimates. I'm excited to find you experts to talk about love, connection, non-monogamy, polyamory, relationship anarchy, group sex, kink, commitment, and lots of other intimacy and relationship topics. Let's live our best lives together by unlearning stigma and getting clear on what we really want. Don't know what to ask for? I have loads of ideas for you. Of course, none of this would be possible without the support of my amazing Patreon supporters or my current hosts, the Musqueam First Nation on whose unceded lands this podcast was made and this human was born. If you want to support more intimate interactions, you can say thank you by supporting us on Patreon for as little as $1 a month. Patreon supporters also get every episode of the podcast ad-free with short intros and outros. I know funds are not an option for some of you lovely humans, but don't fret, there are other ways you can help out. You can help make more intimate interactions by just telling someone you listen to this podcast. Or if you're feeling especially generous, you can share a link to an episode you like and discuss it with a friend or partner, or even leave us a review on iTunes or your favorite podcasting site. Help other humans interested in more intimacy and better relationships find us. If you have your own podcast, shout us out. Need a podcast guest? Email offers to podcast at victorsalmon.com. I love talking about relationships and intimacy, and I love cross-promotion and working with other podcasters. Okay, let's hear about today's episode. Decolonizing can mean many things. It rarely, if ever, gets used to mean making people move, but instead usually is focused more on undoing the damage done by colonization and the ideology of colonialism. But what does that have to do with fucking? Well, it impacts the way I navigate sex-positive spaces as a non-white person, and most definitely impacts the way my guest today, Lex Wilson, navigates those same spaces as a black femme non-binary person. I won't give away too many spoilers. I think it's best to let Lex explain in their own words. But as a content warning, I do want to mention that we will be talking about overt racism, as well as... At one point, I mean, I typically like to add context to things my experts are talking about, and I definitely interject some context that, in my opinion, can come across as very mansplaining. And while Lex was incredibly kind and compassionate in the episode and didn't even mention it, I do come back to it towards the end. So if you notice the mansplaining moment during the podcast, just know that I definitely do come back to it towards the end of the episode to make a full apology. On the plus side, I am noticing these things and getting progressively better at offering apologies, even though this apology came with an explanation, which is not always ideal. I'm also getting progressively better at not speaking over AFAB folks, which is good as well. This stuff is super hard to unlearn, and it's also super necessary work. So with all that out of the way, let's hear all of the great content that Lex has for us here today on Intimate Interactions. Welcome to another session of Intimate Interactions. I'm here with Lex Wilson, he uses they, them pronouns. They teach uh, sex ed as well as anti-oppression stuff and work doing harm reduction for Johns Hopkins. Welcome, Lex. Whoop, whoop. Howdy, howdy. <laughs> I, love I had to do the whoop, whoop. I had to, you know, represent for the jugglers. Again, I'm not one of them, but it felt like they should be represented here. So, you know. <laughs> awesome. Um, so we were talking about decolonizing sex and, and mm-hmm. what that means for a lay audience. Do you want to sort of talk a little bit about what the decolonized movement is trying to do? I will. I'm going to try to uh, be concise, which is not my forte, because I do talk a lot, especially about a topic like decolonization. <laughs> which but I'm going to try to bring it in. Um, so decolonization is just a term that refers to the opposite of colonization, right? So it's this uh, process, if you will, 
um, that people go through. Um, I would say there's a mental aspect, there's a spiritual aspect, um, but just undoing the ways that colonization has impacted us, its long-lasting effects, and uh, the harm that it's done on us as individuals and also as communities. So decolonization mm-hmm. is just about trying to figure out the ways that colonization and colonialism has created harm, has created a lasting impact, identify those things, and then undo them, right? Work around them, heal from them, mm-hmm. uh, make others aware of them. So that's, uh, I think, the most succinct way that I can describe what decolonization is. Sure. And just to start diving in a little more, I know when I use the word decolonization with a lot of, you know, settlers, specifically white settlers, um, sometimes there's a lot of pushback with like, what do you mean people want to like take our houses and like, where, where are we going to go? Like, how can they? And it's like, no, that's not really what we're talking about. Right, right, right. Yeah, I have, there's a lot of pushback on folks who don't understand decolonization to be about um, taking things, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, which is not really the goal of decolonization necessarily, right? Like, there right. is land back, which is about uh, giving uh, indigenous people the land that is theirs, right? Which I totally support. But mm-hmm. uh, I think this idea, people feel very fearful people who have benefited historically from colonization that people will like come into their house and like take their Persian rug. Like, I don't really care about whatever the ring light you have in your studio apartment, Jennifer. I, you know, I'm just talking about resources and undoing the legacies of harm. Um, but yeah, I do find that there is a, a lot of pushback in that way. Um, and then there's the common pushback of like, well, I didn't do anything. My ancestors did it. It wasn't right. Me. Right. 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 And shirking accountability that way. Um, when decolonization has never been about, as you mentioned, taking things from people, it's also not really about pointing fingers for the sake of saying like, Oh, you're a bad person. Right. Right. And it's about naming and being able to understand these harms and what they come from, um, and how to navigate them and how we move around them. Mm hmm. Yeah, very well um, put. So when we're talking about decolonization in the context of sex, because obviously Mm. we could talk a very long time about decolonization as a general topic, but specifically in the context of sex, um, say more about that, because I I haven't really done a deep dive into what decolonization looks like as it applies to sex. Uh, So since colonization shapes so much of our lives, right? Like it shapes the system around us. It shapes uh, what we conceptualize as possible, uh, what we believe is possible. Um, In one of the workshops I did uh, about, oh God, what workshop was I doing? Uh, It's called um, From Cuckold to Race Play. And it's about understanding the ways that mainstream porn as an industry commodifies a non-white identity and like sensationalizes it right so you go to porn sites if you went to a porn site um which you should always be paying for your porn that's first and foremost i do want to say that pay for your porn um there's lots of issues i hate the word problematic but there's lots of issues with uh popular porn streaming sites most Mm -hmm. of them are owned by uh or go back to mind geek Right. And there's a whole host of problems with Mind Geek. I do invite folks to look it up. Um, mm-hmm. But basically, these sites, YouPorn, RedTube, all these places go back to Mind Geek. Right. So you've got this like organization that has a monopoly on porn as an industry that makes it difficult for sex workers to right. 
Uh, right. So MindGeek has all the problems that MindGeek has. Anyway, if you were to go to one of these porn sites, if you were to go to RedTube or XNXX, whatever, right, these are sites that host and connect you to lots of other porn. So it's like Netflix, so to speak. You go onto the site and you look up whatever category you want to look up. So you'd notice really quickly in going to a site like X and XX that things are broken down either by an act that transpires in the porn that you're going to watch or attributes of the porn stars, the talent in the porn you're going to watch. So what I mean by that right. is you could go to the rough porn section or the blowjob section of the site. And you know that when you go to the section, you're going to see lots of blowjobs. You're going to see sex that is rough, right? If you look up spanking, wax, whatever, that's what's going to sure. happen. Um, you will also notice that you'll see a lot of porn that says like black ebony BBW, fiery Latina, slutty Christian mm. schoolgirl, right? But when right, there's right, non-white right. people in the porn, it's always a focal point, right? And it reinforces this racial othering whereby white people are people and everyone else is this asterisk. So I could watch blowjob porn and that just has regular people. In it. So I know that these people are going to be white. If the porn tells me this is like rough BBW ebony porn, then I know that there's going to be a black woman in it. <clears throat> Right. Um, right. And it reinforces this idea that like a black girl is this, like experience to try. And we know that this has real world ramifications. Right. Speaking from my personal life, I was on the best place ever. Kink. I mean, FetLife.com, my favorite place to be. Everybody <laughs> behavior there. Always great. <laughs> um, and in that vein, someone messaged me and said, like, you know, I've always wanted to try a black girl. And I'm there like you're on a site where people are talking about and negotiating in real time how to be turned into like lawn furniture how to do like some elaborate predicament bondage scene right, right? you could like be turned there's pony play all the things that exist within kink that you could try right mm -hmm. you could like try being turned into like a sexy fuck burrito i don't know right sure. and what you want to try is a black girl as if like i'm some experience like driving a ferrari or uh you know Right. Whatever. Trying blowfish sushi. Like, um, some experience to be crossed off. Right. So it has real world um, implications. You think about not just these real world implications, and I'm going to be brief, but um, speaking of state sanctioned violence in the U.S., right? There's the right. very notorious case of um, uh, Michael Brown, who was murdered by the police, police officer Darren Wilson. Um, and when you listen to Darren Wilson describe uh, what led to him shooting Michael Brown, um, he talks about how beast-like Michael Brown looked, right? Like how he was like this big beast. And so one of the things that this presentation asks is that if we're looking at these legacies of animalistic dehumanization of black people, how right. is it different and is it different to watch Darren Wilson saying he killed this black teenager because he was so beast-like, right? And then you look at like the transatlantic slave trade and you look at people talking about... Um, uh, the virility of black men, making them animalistic, making them be yes. black, right? The the film Birth of a Nation, which is about the Ku Klux Klan, which was shown in the White House. I forget the president. I want to say Woodrow Wilson, but I, I'm not sure if that's right. But this scene was shown in the White House, Birth of a Nation, um, and it's this propaganda film for the Klan. And the culminating scene in this movie is this uh, gang of like savage, brutal, animalistic black men trying to rape a white woman who's well, been saved by the Klan. So we see that this white white men in blackface. But yes, he's, right, right, right. So you see that like this rallying call for this propaganda film about protecting whiteness has relied on hypersexualization of black men. 
right, to do its work for it. So the legacy of colonization and sex, like, runs really deep in this country and, like I said, has some really, really, really dangerous and pernicious um, outcomes, whether it's, like, m- me, you know, in this chat room on FetLife, um, which is hardly whatsoever equivocal to, uh, you know, Michael Brown being murdered. But this is, like, the span of harm that it creates, Right. It creates an industry permeated by what it's permeated by that leads to racial othering, It creates this context that informs state violence. So it kind of permeates every single sphere of our lives. So talking about colonization and sex, uh, I think people when I bring that up, they think that it's going to be um, a bit less overarching and all encompassing that than that. But when I tell people how deeply imbued it is with like so many different pieces of our culture, um, yeah, take a step back and start to see it for how serious it really is. Absolutely. Um, yeah, and especially when you think about, I mean, I'm not as well versed in the history of of slavery specifically in the United States, but the use of of male slaves for essentially the cuckold style fantasy. Yeah, right. Um, right back right. in the day, and how that ties into cuckold porn. Fucking exactly. today. Oh yeah, and that's. That's why that's the title of the presentation, because you have um, a fetish or I don't want to say fetish, but you have a king like cuckold. Right. Where the only thing that need the only uh, requirements that need to be met for someone to be cuckold is that you have uh, a couple and one of them steps out, so to speak, on the other person. Right. Usually cuckold. We see it through this like very cis heteronormative lens. So you have like straight heterosexual white couple. Right. Um, But then it takes on all these racial implications um which are so fascinating because it doesn't need to do that that doesn't that's right. not like a requirement for the fantasy right. right it takes on just these intense intense racial uh implications that are just so interesting to see play out but they really play in this idea of like black men as hyper viral as like dirty right as sully yeah. whiteness right there's a lot yeah. of gender things happening within that too sure. um, but yeah it is it is just a very interesting fantasy for the way that it kind of takes those things on and it just gets so uh normally i'm the kind of person where like hey you're two consenting adults do what you want right right Um, but it gets so dark so quickly where wow this didn't need to be racist and yet it is okay yeah and if there are folks who really enjoy as people of color stepping into that racist um you know like role and doing that play i mean you do you right like i'm not here to police anything yeah but that doesn't mean that I'm going to be silent about being like, well, hey, there's some bigger things at play here. And exactly. And my in sex ed, because the way I got into sex ed was actually through fantasy and studying fantasy anyway. But my mm. main desire has never been to say this is bad. What you're doing is bad and you're creating harm. Right. I'm not really interested in doing that, whether I believe it personally or not. I don't really care. What I care about is being able to point something and say, well, this certainly comes from a place doesn't it? Why don't we talk about that? Right? So um, in this session, one of the last times I uh, presented it, Mm -hmm. uh, because I talk a lot about blackness because I am black, right? And that's my experience. And Mm anti-black violence certainly contextualizes most of racism in America, which is not to Mm -hmm. say that other kinds of racism don't transpire, not at all. But the framework of racism that happens in the U.S. is very built and modeled specifically because of America's history of Mm -hmm. anti-blackness, right? Like at a certain point, we didn't, 
have other races, right? Because race is a construct. And so people who right. weren't black were still called black. So that's what I mean when I say that, not to invalidate other forms of racism or say that anti-blackness is the only kind that matters, but it does create the framework sure. for all kinds of racism in our country. Um, so when I was talking about this, I do tend to focus a little bit on blackness because I am black and I talk about my own experiences. We do talk about racism in a myriad of different ways. We talk about anti-Asian racism sure. and how it leads to hypersexualization of Asian men and women um, mm-hmm. and everyone in between. Um, and typically, Go ahead. No, sorry. I just, as a South Asian, I just want to be like, typically when people say Asian, they mean East Asian. East Asian, right, right. Whereas no, like... Talk about East Asian, because there's different types of hypersexualization that happen to people, whether sure. they are East Asian or South Asian, right? And what that looks like is very different, sure. right? And even the way that people are invisibilized within that, like uh, a lot of the time within mainstream porn, the way that South Asian people are fetishized is through like just gross... Um, Islamophobia, because Islamophobia gets mad sure. people independent of whether they actually are Muslim or not, right? But that's when you see a lot of like, right. hijab porn and stuff like that, where right, right. people are actually, right? Um, so, and I agree, we could talk about that for a long time, too, the way people say Asian mean East Asians. <laughs> oh, sure. God, that's a topic in and of itself. Um, and anti-Indigenous racism, right? Sure. So, another example of, like, um, real world implications right like we know that um indigenous women are hypersexualized, and we also sure. know through like pocahontas costumes and all this other gross oh, shit um and we also <laughs> know that one in three indigenous women experience sexual violence in their lifetime right so these things aren't disconnected right, right. when you paint someone as this hypersexual character that's just all part of rape culture it's just one tenet of rape culture so um i'm in this workshop And we're talking about this because it inevitably always comes up. We're talking about, well, how about people who are people of color, who are non-white, who are participating in race play, right? Mm. I don't really care about them either, which is not to be um, flippant and say apathetically, oh, I don't care about them. Like, they're doing what they got to do, right? They clearly identify that they have some desire. They're going to act it out. Okay, cool. I don't really care why they're participating in it. Their partner who's, like, getting off on calling the N-word that's usually the person who I'm looking at a little bit differently. Um, But anyway, so this conversation comes up in every single time I've done this um, workshop, understandably, right? And so someone brings up an individual who does happen to be an indigenous woman, um, and she has this elaborate fantasy where she dresses up uh, as Pocahontas and gets like chased around the woods by white men. So we can, uh, this obviously is coming from a place. I don't think anybody who I've ever shared this story with, talked about this workshop with, who was at the workshop, whatever, um, has ever not thought that. Like, it very clearly comes from a very particular place, Her, her this fantasy that she has, right? Um, and as a sex educator who does a lot of work also around trauma theory, I'm certainly aware of how people are drawn to renegotiating past traumatic experiences. It's very, very common in fantasy for people to say, hey, look, I had this negative experiences at this point in my life, and now I want to renegotiate it through fantasy, right? That's the mm-hmm. C, otherwise called consensual non-consent, is so popular because you have a lot of people who are like, hey, I experienced sexual violence in whatever capacity, not on my own terms. Obviously, that's the nature of sexual violence. But I have this fantasy yeah. Wherein I'm renegotiating this, I'm re-exploring these things on my terms, I dictate what happens, and that's very healing for me. You also have people who are like, I never want to do anything that reminds me of this again, right? Um, Right. But you have a lot of people who are drawn to renegotiation as part of fantasy. So I certainly understand that 
and, and this woman wasn't the person who was at the fantasy. This was somebody else describing it. But I certainly can understand how she came up with the fantasy, right? Why it might be appealing to her. And I'm not necessarily looking at her like, wow, how racist of her to of want course. to do this, right? Now, if you're telling me you're one of the white guys who wants to chase around this woman just like Pocahontas and call her slurs, ah, I might look at that a little bit. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, but... Uh, yeah, it's there's just a lot that goes on with decolonization and sex. There's, it's just a very large conversation um, that I've fortunately been having for a while. But but yeah, it is. There's just like a lot of stuff within it. And also for folks that say like, oh, this is just my fetish. Like you should just deal with it. I'm kind of like, is it though? Like, is your fetish degradation maybe or humiliation? Right. Because that's a fair fetish to have. The only question that I'm asking is like, what part of my race or someone's else, someone else's race is is so beneath whiteness yes. that you find it degrading to fuck and, and us? That, and that's exactly, again, it all comes from a particular place, right? Yeah. If we look at a, a different fantasy for a second, if we look at a fantasy like uh, forced feminization, right? Sure. Which so I much have misogyny. No yeah, but that's that's the thing, right? So I don't really care about people doing forced feminization. Do what you want, but why <laughs> is it that the most or the penultimate humiliating experience you can conceptualize right. as being a woman that comes from a place, right? Now, <laughs> yes. being a woman is humiliating in a lot of ways. That's true because of misogyny. But there's a reason that your brain thinks it's humiliating to like wear nail polish and do chores around the house and wear a dress. And there's a reason you associate all those things with womanhood. It's not, it's not, not a misogynistic reason, you know, like clearly you're attuned to misogyny the way we all are. And you right. realized, Oh, look at this really humiliating fantasy. We treat women real in a really humiliating way in our society. Huh? Sure. It's interesting. It must be really a great vehicle for me to experience, experience and explore shame. Yeah. There's a right. reason that's happening. Right. So same with couple. There's a reason that what just has to be a fantasy about your wife, you know, I'm using air quotes, cheating on you. There's a reason that takes right. on such intense racial conflict, um, connotations, right? There's a reason that that's happening. It comes from a particular place. And I would argue without those systems and those structures and those things being in society, fantasy would be completely different, right? Where would fantasy be if anti-black racism wasn't a thing? Completely different. Where would fantasy Complete. be if misogyny wasn't a thing, if sexism wasn't a thing, right? Yeah. The T-slur is like a fetish. It's a category on porn websites, Right. That doesn't exist without cis sexism and trans misogyny. That doesn't yeah. exist without a gender binary imposed through violence the way it is onto people. Yeah. Uh, people be gay people tricking straight people into sex bait bus. That's the premise of bait bus where like a straight guy goes into a bus and there's like a pretty girl with big boobs. She's like, oh, wow, I saw you walking down the boardwalk and I couldn't wait to suck your dick. Right. Which shout out to her. And then it's like a guy, you know, sucking his dick. And he's like, oh, wow, it's so crazy, but he's really good. So I'll let him keep going. Right. But that's premise of like tricking straight guys into sex. That wouldn't be a thing without homophobia being what it is. Right? right. So fantasy, a lot of people in fantasy are very reticent to be introspective about where their kinks come from, unfortunately. And there's this sense of fragility. So when you say what we're saying, people, all they hear is like, my king is racist. You think I'm racist? I'm not racist. Like, nobody said that. I don't care that you voted for Obama twice. Right. My point <laughs> is your fantasy comes from a place. And unless you're doing work to unpack that and interrogate that, we're just going to keep replicating the same problems. Right. I'm not saying, oh, don't have sex anymore right i have plenty of fantasies that come from places too right but at least be able to recognize and kind of say huh 
I think I need to navigate that. Maybe I should unpack that. Maybe I should do some self-work to, to navigate why the most embarrassing thing I can think of is being a woman. Why is being a woman so humiliating to me? Hmm. Just think about it. You know, um, there's a song by Pharrell where he says, you should think about it. Take a second. And I think about that constantly. Just like Pharrell said, you should think about it. Take a second. Just mm. pause. Think about things for a little bit, right? It's not a, um, an infringement upon your character. It's not like a negative value judgment about who you are. So, I mean, if you're chasing someone around the woods calling the N-word, I probably will judge your character personally. <laughs> so, I will. But, but you know, uh, you don't know me. Who cares if I don't like you, right? Well, you're mad because on FetLife.com, I said that your kink to call someone the N-word is probably something you should unpack. Sorry about it. Uh, sorry, dude. Um, but yeah, a lot of people just take it in the worst possible way. You have a lot of like really, really, really sensitive people in kink who act that like because they're kinky, they that some axis of oppression, which it's not, you know, um, and who are so like personally affronted when you insult their kinks. Like we're all grown adults, baby. If I said you should unpack your kink to call someone the N word, I think you'll live. I think you'll be all right. Uh, but yeah. Yeah, but I mean, people people don't like looking at that shit, right? They no, just want to yeah. say, oh, it's my preference. And it's like, you know, humans really only have a preference for status. The biggest question is, why do you see these things as, you know, like really high status, like attractive? Like, why is this a thing that, that you think will... I, I don't know. Anyways, that's just the way that I've been parsing no. it recently. But it's not super supported by research that I've specifically looked at, so I don't want to like... But you're, yeah, you're right, because when you talk about desirability politics, people's number one pushback is like, oh, but that's just my preference. Right, but right. preference doesn't occur in a vacuum. Of right. course, wow, it's a coincidence that society prefers blonde hair and blue eyes. Totally arbitrary coincidence. Wow, just a preference. What a coinky dink. It right. comes from somepleplace. Right, right. they like straight hair. Like date trans woman in secret. No, that comes from a place, right? <laughs> so, so this this discussion with preference, right, is just standard part of uh, desirability politics. You know, um, yeah. Truly, nothing occurs in a vacuum. Even talking about like fatness and fat phobia uh-huh. and like, oh yeah, you know, like so much of that is is images, associations, what we've absorbed from society over the course of our lives. Like mm-hmm. when you when you think of how popular someone like Marilyn Monroe was in her time, and you think of how not popular someone Marilyn Monroe's size would be in our time, you know, it's not like there are these you know universal laws about about any specific kind of desirability. And I think a lot of people are still very much operating under the assumption that, you know, stuff can just be their preference. It's very much that, like, that liberal mindset of, like, well, this is how I justify, you know, all these things that other white people tell me is not okay. Like, if hyper-Christian folks are telling you that homosexuality is not okay, and you're like, oh, but it's just their preference, it's fine. And it's like, no, you're missing the ball both on the anti-homophobia and also on, like, how like yeah like preference is not a justification unto itself is what i'm saying right no never never has been um absolutely not right and it's totally informed by uh the system around us right um and so i'm glad you bring up fat phobia because fat phobia is another tenant of colonization right um and colonization as this oppressive concerted effort right to tell us and dictate people how they need to 
be, right? That's what uh, colonization does. And that's the process of assimilation is like being in the correct way as part of an out group, right? You need to assimilate to language, customs, culture, whatever. Um, and so when you look at people who align with what colonization tells you or who um, aren't aligned with what colonization tells you, it like reveals the values therein. So if you look at who is uh, praised or why they're praised or why people are punished. So like looking at fat phobia, you can look at this example of uh, Sarja Bartman or Sarah Bartman, who was um, a black woman. And I forget the exact time period, but anyway, they put her into like this human zoo and they like touted her around as this exhibit because she had like a very large uh, posterior, she had a big butt. Um, but anyway, the way that she was shaped is why she was ridiculed, right? Uh, she had this shape that really deviated from whiteness, right? And how colonization was prescribing that people be, right, or look. And so she was put into this zoo. And so you can see that black women have never fit into this archetype of womanhood or femininity throughout history, right? What's the main pushback that Serena Williams gets? She's called, like, mannish and masculine, right? right. So when you interrogate... um the way that black women interact with like cis sexism and trans misogyny, it reveals something about how womanhood is imposed as an archetype, right? And how it doesn't uh, allow space for black women quite deliberately, which has all this other host of ramifications, right? That are really insidious. Black girls are called fast from a young age, and fast is a term that means or implies like sexual promiscuity, right? And so um, they've done studies where they show pictures of two children, one's white, one's black, and people always assume that like the black child is older, right? This has its own implications, right? right? People in healthcare think that black people feel less pain, right? And this Jesus. goes along with what I was talking yeah. about, the dehumanization of black people. You put this black woman in the zoo for what her body looks like, right? Fuck. Um, so colonization has all these implications, right? Because it tells us, this is how you need to speak. This is how you need to dress. This is how you need to act. This is how you need to look. And when you deviate from that, when you don't have a correct body, right? When you're disabled or you don't perform gender in the right way, you don't perform race in the right way, right? Um, you're punished by the system mm-hmm. that's in place, right? Um, mm-hmm. It's important to know also, though, within uh, this framework, it feels as though through assimilation and respectability, you'll be like afforded privilege, but that's just like a ruse, right? Respectability doesn't actually save you or insulate you from any sort of violence. That's just part of the scheme, so to speak, right? But me right. as a black person speaking properly or professionally, wearing right. Whatever, it's not going to actually insulate me from uh, police violence. Uh, but people do right. use it as part of the bootstraps theory, which is like another piece of propaganda related to colonization. Um, but right. yeah. It reminds me a lot of uh, Jordan Peele's work, specifically mm-hmm. Us. Mm-hmm. 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 And the way, the way that the people on top puppet the people below. And that's really echoed by the main black family and especially the dad being puppeted by the white family that he sort of is constantly trying to, to yep. be more like right down to buying a boat. Yeah. Right. 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 But then again, it doesn't protect them from any kind of violence. Uh, right, it, exactly. In the end, it's not actually the, the panacea that it's sort of propagandized or marketed to be. 
Right, right, exactly, exactly. And uh, we could talk about race theory and us for, oh, geez, for hours and Such hours. a good movie. Such a good movie. I love Jordan Peele um, so much. Uh, but I will not I will not go down that rabbit hole right now. <laughs> but, but yeah, right, it just does show you how it didn't insulate them from um, being hurt, right? Their white friends didn't rescue them or help them or save them, right? Um, so, yeah, yeah, us is, oh, wow probably going to go watch us later yeah just it just popped into my head as you were talking about this idea of respectability politics and ah oh, fuck and um one of my one of my friends also says regularly you know politeness is a tool of white supremacy mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and i just wanted to echo that because totally. i really really yes. appreciate that sentiment that like people will tell police you and say like oh like you can't object to being brutally mistreated that way <laughs> Yeah, right. Because politeness is just this like social performance where all parties get to retain social capital. It's not at all about like respect for people or justice or love or care or empathy. Yeah. It's the same way that like I often feel there's a difference between kindness and niceness. Like niceness is a superficial performative kind of gesture. Right. But like Mm -hmm. kindness is actually about doing practical things out of care out of love out of empathy but niceness is just like the social performance that we do so yeah politeness is totally just about like maintaining the status quo not ruffling things yeah no politeness is totally about white supremacy yeah i'm actually writing down what you said because you said it so well Ooh, thank you. it was extremely concise you said politeness is a, something like polite i'm just going to paraphrase here politeness is a social performance where everyone gets to keep all their social capital Oh yeah everyone gets to retain social capital yeah 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 gets to retain social capital that is really succinct I had never thought about politeness like that and why when you start challenging you know like hey you actually have a lot more social capital than me and like what you're doing right now is a way of preventing me getting to a similar amount of social capital right like you're not allowing me to sort of take my space as an equal people are like oh well that's just very rude of you yeah right right exactly you have to be so uppity. Yeah, right, exactly. That's what you're being rude. You're not being very nice, right? Because you're not maintaining the social order where we both get to feel good about ourselves or something superficial. Mm-hmm. So before we end the session, because we're we're getting pretty much to that time, I just wanted to make a note that I I noticed and immediately regretted when I sort of cooperatively chimed in when you were talking about birth of a nation. Um uh- because it's it's just such a cringy anytime I've seen shots from it or examples like it it's it's nauseating and cringy and it's so uncomfortable that anyone could ever believe that was anything approximating any kind of knowledge or truth. Like it's just right. it it's so invalid on so many levels that it's absolutely just like fairness breaking and mm-hmm. just like all of my needs for fairness and security are just like ah. um right. So for me, I guess I wanted to chime in with like, oh, this was a also they aren't even black men. Right. Um, Yeah. And it occurred to me I'm a non-black POC essentially talking over you or interrupting you. A a black femme non-binary human in the middle of talking about racism. And I'm like, holy shit, that is some serious like AMAB socialization right there. Right. Well, I appreciate your vigilance and I appreciate the apology. Thank you. Yeah. 
thank you for being so understanding and compassionate about it. Oh, birth of a nation. Wow. Oh, birth of a nation. <laughs> right, right, right. Yep. That is uh, about as close to mansplaining as I get. <laughs> yeah. Well, so it's so the, <laughs> the cold notes of that is accountability may look short and easy, but it's actually oh, yeah. extremely hard to do and sucks and it sucks to do publicly. Yeah. And you can only hope that when you do fuck up, it's with someone you trust and care. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But a lot about part of life. Yeah. Fucking up's a part of life. Yeah. That's all we really can do is be accountable to it when it happens. Yep. And it's, accountability is also a lifelong process. Fuck yeah. is it ever. As is anti-racism and unlearning. As is, as is decolonization. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. You're such a great collaborator. I appreciate Thank how you. you brought it back to the theme. Yes, yeah, so you always, always have to be topical, you know? Um, <laughs> yeah. But it is something that I like and I like to remind myself about decolonization is that um, I think we sometimes part of the colonization is like a past tense thing, but it's very much right. like a continual process. White supremacy is a function of colonization, right? So it's still very much happening. Um and so when I remind myself of that, I usually feel pretty dejected. But then I also remind myself that decolonization is a continual process, too. Uh, my ancestors have mm-hmm. passed down resilience and decol- decolonial practice on to me, and I'll pass it on to future generations. My community is engaged in de- my communities, excuse me, are engaged in like decolonization. So it as as much a continual process as colonization is right uh, we're only alive today because of our ancestors and our communities like fighting tooth and nail against it because of them decolonizing themselves too. Mm. So I try to ground myself by remembering that there's a very long, healthy, rich legacy of decolonization and we're part of that. So that's where I, uh, I try to, like I said, ground myself. That is a really hopeful place to take a really hopeless conversation. Thank you yeah. for that. All we have <laughs> is imagination. You know, it's most important tool uh in your decolonization arsenal so to speak mm-hmm. i mean we also need gas like i don't say arsenal that's like you know <laughs> conversation but um imagination is like central to abolition right you have to be able to dream of new worlds to build them so i do think hope is a great place to ground decolonial practice yeah you're, you're now you're getting me all fired up about abolitionism and, and good, trans- good good but that's like that's like a whole other podcast decolonization good good great well once again thank you so much it's such a pleasure to speak with you lex and i, I really appreciate your collaboration and and your thoughts on decolonization shucks oh shucks thank you i always appreciate talking to you as well it's always a great time yay so how was it intimates Did you love something you heard, or maybe you're upset by something I said? Leave your comments on facebook.com slash intimate interactions, or you can go to patreon.com slash victorsalmon, where you can find our Discord server. All of these communities are available on intimatepodcast.com, and I genuinely look forward to speaking with you soon. If you liked it, please consider helping us pay for show costs over at Patreon for as little as $1 per month. It's incredibly helpful. It's just a dollar a month. If you can afford it, we would hugely appreciate having your support. And hey, if that doesn't work for you, I completely understand. You can also help out by going to leave a review on iTunes or other favorite social media platform. Social proof like that helps so much with visibility and audience building. It helps other intimacy and relationship nerds find us. And if any of that just sounds like too much work, you can always do something really simple and it still goes a long way. 
Something like just tapping share and sending an episode that you liked, maybe a favorite, to a friend or partner, or maybe you can send them something you think they might really like. That's probably more considerate. (laughs) Thanks so much for your time and for your help in keeping us making more of Intimate Interactions. Oh yeah, I almost forgot. The intro music was Driving in the Rain by Timecrawler, and this outro music is Acoustic Blues by Jason Shaw. 